Hello and welcome to the podcast Crime Salad. We are a husband and wife and partners in crime here to give you your weekly healthy portion of true crime. My name is Ashley. And I'm Ricky. So glad you could join us because we are about to dive in part two of this case about the mysterious death of Peggy Beckler. As always, listener discretion is advised. Okay, so where we left off in part one, authorities, they were lacking sufficient evidence to charge Eric Beckler with Peggy's murder. And all that they had at this point was circumstantial. So nothing that they had could take him to court and get him a murder conviction. And like we said, there was a break in the case. So around this particular time, Eric met Tina New, a 27-year-old, at a trade show in October of 1997. Eric's friend had hired her to be a model in his booth. Tina, she was an actress who had appeared on shows such as Baywatch Nights, Married with Children, and also Tina appeared on two episodes of Mr. Show in 1997. And there were a number of different shows that she was in. She was also a bikini contest winner and a part-time nude model. Now, Tina, she agreed to go on a date after Eric asked her. Eric told Tina at the dinner that he had three children and that his wife had tragically died in an accident. And he went on to give her the details of what happened. You know, his story of what happened. Specifically stating that the water was rough and choppy that day. So he fell off the boogie board and then Peggy was gone. Tina saw a man who had lost his wife. She felt sympathy for the man. And she also was attracted to him. And during this date, Tina actually asked him if the police questioned him at all. And she wasn't hinting like she thought that he was guilty or anything. But, you know, just as a police routine, his wife died did the police question him? And when he was asked this question, Eric began to cry. So it's not like he was crying because he was retelling this horrible, tragic story of his wife vanishing in the ocean, but he started to break down and cry when she asked if the police questioned him. I thought that part was weird because it's all for show. Yeah. I mean, he said he was a good actor. She's a good actor. Two actors make a good couple, I guess, huh? Maybe. Not to mention, the waters were calm that day. So why does he have to lie? He was lying right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And she saw him getting upset, which made her feel terrible, which was probably what he was going for, I'm, I'm assuming. And she spent the night with Eric after dinner. Eric told Tina that he couldn't raise his three children alone. So Tina, who had her own two children, moved in with Eric into the house that he had shared with Peggy. At this point, the children were sometimes with Eric and they were sometimes with Peggy's parents in New Mexico. So they kind of had like this shared balance between the two. And Tina and Eric went on luxury cruises when Eric's kids weren't there. So where is he getting the money for this? Like, did he get his insurance money yet? Not that I know of, but it does seem strange. Yeah. So, I mean, does he still have the same house that 
that expensive house? Yeah, that's the house where he and Peggy lived, and Tina moved in with him. Makes you wonder where he's getting the money if he didn't get the insurance, though, because he got fired from the job from the business that they sold. Maybe they're just using her money. Possibly. But wherever the money was coming from, she would say that Eric made her feel so special, as if she were Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman. But not long after Tina moved in, Eric gave up custody of his children altogether and sent them to live full-time with Peggy's parents in New Mexico. So it sounds like he's pretty love-struck. He's done with his old life and, like, ready for this new life. Oh, yeah. He just kicked his old life to the curb, said, you know what, I'm moving on. Ah, that sucks for the kids. I know, doesn't it? And then at this point, the kids, this was back in the 90s, so they're adults now. Like, they're probably looking back like, oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. So he was starting over. One of the children later moved in with one of Peggy's sisters, while the other two stayed with Peggy's parents. Even though it's kind of a crappy thing to do, they were much safer away from him. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Now, around this time, Eric was hungry for Peggy's payout. So like you said, Ricky, where's this money coming from? Eric needed some more because they had some luxury cruises to get on and they had some plans to do. So Eric, he attempted to get control of Peggy's estate, which was valued at $450,000 in cash and stocks. Mm. So he's racking up that IOU with his new girlfriend. Money's on the way. Peggy's parents hired an attorney to represent them in court. The judge appointed a third-party conservator to manage the estate until the case could be resolved in court. And while he was crossing his fingers on that one, Eric requested a payout from Peggy's life insurance. But they refused while the case was being investigated. And he would frequently call in with his insurance agent to see how things were going. Oh, okay. So it's not just insurance money that he's getting. He's also trying to get money from her estate. Yeah, exactly. Also, just a little side thought. Could you imagine being that insurance agent? You're getting this call from this guy and you're like, I know that there's like this investigation going on about his wife. No, Eric, it's 2 a.m. It's still not processed. I'll let you know. All while this is happening, Tina, who described herself feeling blissfully happy, being that she finally met this caring, charming man who was actually respectful and loving, started to get some different feelings when it came to Eric. He might not be a prince. Cold turkey may be great on sandwiches, but there's a better way to break your bad habits. Say hello to something way cooler. Picture this, a device so nifty it's like having a personal coach in your pocket. Forget about those miracle cures from late night TV ads or dusty old self-help books with empty promises. We're talking about our sponsor, Fume, which is spelled F-U-M. And they look at the problem in a different way. Not everything in a bad habit is wrong. So instead of a drastic, uncomfortable change, why not just remove the bad from your habit? Fume is an innovative, award-winning flavored air device that does just that. Instead of vapor, Fume uses flavored air. Instead of electronics, Fume is completely natural. And instead of harmful chemicals, Fume uses delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, Fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. Your fume comes with an adjustable airflow dial 
and it's designed with movable parts and magnets for you to fidget with, giving your fingers a lot to do, which is helpful for de-stressing and anxiety when you're breaking your habit. Honestly, I wasn't sure of what to expect from Fume at first, but wow, was I surprised. It has so much more flavor than I thought it would. It's like the difference between fresh, crisp air and a stuffy room. You know how herbal tea feels refreshing compared to sticky soda? That's Fume for you. It's like the herbal tea of all vapors, natural and not too sweet. And the way it feels in your hand is pretty cool. It's got like this perfect balance of weight to it, and it's made with real wood and has a super stylish design. You gotta try the new Solano Fume. It's made with a premium walnut barrel and an onyx-coated mouthpiece that has a slightly softer finish. So start this year off right with the good habit by going to try fume.com slash salad and getting the journey pack today. Fume is giving listeners of the show 10% off when they use our code salad to help make starting the good habit that much easier. That's tryfume.com slash salad to save 10% off the journey pack today. One of the things that struck her as odd was when he wasn't mourning at all. And we know everyone grieves differently, but it would be strange. I mean, this is your business partner, the mother of your children, and you've been married to this person for five years, and you just quickly move on like nothing. It's a little concerning. And another thing that added to the bad feelings was when he would be on the phone with Peggy's parents. Tina described him as being brutal over the phone and would always ask them about money. It was particularly strange and unsettling how he would act around the parents who had also just lost their daughter. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty harsh. You'd think they would have some sort of relationship or or something. Tina would also say that Eric had this cold-hearted attitude towards his kids at times, which would be strange considering that they lost their mother. But she said other times he would appear to be really happy and a good dad. The honeymoon stage that they shared was fading off, and soon enough, Eric's true self was coming through, and their relationship was becoming volatile and toxic. But Tina still adored Eric, and they frequently discussed marriage. Arguments escalated, and around 18 months after they started dating in the spring of 99, Eric pushed her. And so Eric was charged with domestic violence after she called the cops. He received probation and was ordered to attend counseling sessions and to stay away from Tina. Tina would describe him as becoming a Jekyll and Hyde, but at this point she still didn't believe that he murdered Peggy. Despite the domestic abuse charge, Tina and Eric kept seeing each other because Tina had strong feelings towards Eric, and like we said earlier, Tina was living with him in his and Peggy's old house, But she made the right decision by moving her kids and herself out of that house and into her own apartment. But she's still seeing him? So I saw this interview that Tina said that she always dated these men who were very rude to her and disrespectful. And Eric was that one person who just showed her like this different type of relationship. So I think she was really drawn to that. So she made excuses for him. Yeah. But she still was getting these bad vibes, and it was a good thing that she moved out, I feel, because who knows what could have happened. Mm -hmm. Now, I find this next part either so coincidental 
Or maybe she did have some kind of suspicion. One fall day in 1999, Tina was over at Eric's place when she put in an old videotape. This was a videotape that was of her modeling and different shows that she was in. Well, she fast-forwarded it, and it just so happened to land on an old news reporting about Peggy's death and the boating accident. Tina watched Eric's response, and she said that Eric's mouth just dropped. Surprised, he asked her, how did you get that? And then he became really quiet. Tina continued watching specifically, listening to the detail about how the water was so calm that day and how Peggy still fell out of the boat and drowned. Tina said, you always said that the water was extremely choppy that day. Why did you lie to me? And even though Eric would not open up about what really happened, she still felt like there was more to this story. So days went on, and Eric made the decision to tell Tina what, quote, really happened. He said that he and Peggy were sipping on cocktails, and they made love twice when he saw her fall overboard. When this all happened, he didn't try to help her because he knew that she would leave him and take the children with her. Now, Tina, she tried to convince herself that Eric had left his wife to die out of love for his children, at first believing and accepting what Eric said was truthful. But the more Tina thought about it, the more she realized Eric wasn't telling the whole story. She needed to get him to tell her the truth. So she gave him some truth serum, and he completely came clean. Wait, truth serum? Like, meet the Fockers truth serum? Yeah, like what they would do in the movies, pretty much. So Tina and Eric went clubbing on October 16th, 1999, and they drank and took ecstasy that night. Tina told Eric later that night that he needed to be honest with her about what happened to Peggy. She came out and said, you hit her, didn't you? And Eric acted shocked and asked, how did you know that? So with the concoction of ecstasy and alcohol, he was willing to spill the tea, the whole cup of tea. From there, Eric told Tina what happened on the celebration of their five-year anniversary, July 6th of 1997, for the next three hours. He planned the murder for a long time, considering all options. He reserved the boating trip several days in advance. And on the 4th of July, two days before their fifth wedding anniversary, he and Peggy hosted a party for 200 people at their home. He said that he pretended to be affectionate and lovey-dovey with Peggy so that no one would suspect him of murder. Eric described assembling his murder kit, which included a bag with a tow rope, two 35-pound dumbbell weights, and trash bags. So that's what was in that duffel bag that only had a magazine. That's what it's sounding like. And he left everything at the second dock, including the boogie board. And they drove the boat about 12 miles away from shore. And while Peggy was sunbathing and relaxing in the sun, Eric approached her and hit her over the head. He described he hit her so hard that she didn't feel a thing. Blood was everywhere. 
Eric described how he twisted Peggy's torso over her feet, tied her hands and ankles together, wrapped her in a trash bag, anchored her with weights, and threw her overboard. Well, this would explain the thousand-foot water then. Yeah, like he knew it was a deep part of the ocean where he did this. And after he did this, Eric stated that he washed out the boat, drove back towards shore. And he came to a four-mile stop. He jumped off the back of the boat with the boogie board and let the boat drag him until he was found. Eric described himself as diving in and out of the water and screaming her name and looking for her for a long time. And then the Coast Guard came. Seemed like everything was falling right into place. Tina asked him if they ever found her body and also questioned if Peggy's body would eventually float to the surface, to which Eric replied, they will never find her. Eric explained that could not happen because Peggy had low body fat and she was anchored with 70 pounds of weight. Now, as you can imagine, I know I would feel this way. Naturally, Tina was terrified for her life after Eric's confession. And since that night, Eric became clingy and refused to let her leave his side. Anytime that they were apart, he would constantly call her. I'd be so afraid for my life for Tina, telling him that she's in danger. Yeah, knowing that information. Mm-hmm. And her kids, too. Like That's so scary. scary. Yeah. And so on October 28th, Tina couldn't take it any longer. She called Peggy's parents to tell them what had happened. They instructed her to contact the police, but she didn't yet. Eric went to Tina's house later that night, and Tina claims that he arrived with alcohol and a large duffel bag. Oh, yeah, no. No, 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 no. So at this point, she's a liability. For sure. Yeah, it seems like he was planning to end it all right then and there. I mean, he got away with it once. Why not twice? Yeah. Now, the couple began to argue and neighbors called the cops. Eric fled out the back door of Tina's apartment, knowing he was violating his parole by being there and not wanting to be arrested. Wait, what was the probation violation? So if you remember, Tina called the police after he pushed her. So that domestic violence charge that he got. Yeah, he wasn't allowed to be with her. And because the police were on their way, he's like, I got to get out of here. So once the officers arrived, Eric had left. Tina told the cops everything. It was the first breakthrough in the case in more than two years. Tina was asked if police could tap her phone, and she agreed. Tina and Eric spoke on the phone on October 29th. Tina pretended everything was fine and agreed to meet him for dinner that night. Investigators listened in on the phone call as Eric told Tina that he was considering leaving the state and asked her not to talk to the police. Tina inquired as to whether Eric had told his attorney what really happened, to which Eric replied, no, it was an accident. It was a mistake. Then she said, well, maybe you should tell your attorney the truth because you need someone to know. Sounds like in both of these attempts for the wiretaps, it's like he's pretty conscious of what could be. Or maybe he's just paranoid, but he didn't confess to Kobe. Now he didn't confess to Tina. Right. You know, on the record. So the police decided to give it another try, and Tina agreed to wear a wire to her dinner with Eric that evening. So investigators outfitted her with a wire so that the conversation can be recorded. They instructed her to attempt to persuade Eric to repeat the incriminating statements he made to her on October 16th. 
So I feel like this is where Tina's acting skills come into play. Yeah, for sure. All those years of acting are paying off. Baywatch. So on October 16th, Tina and Eric dined at El Torito, a Mexican restaurant in Newport Beach. While a detective sat nearby, they ate burritos and drank margaritas. Eric stated that he was afraid of going to jail, so he was obtaining a false identity and planning to flee the state. Tina expressed concern about staying on track with her story. Tina told Eric that she had four stories in her head, including the original and the real story. So if the police asked her anything, what story should she go with? Eric replied that she should not say anything unless called to the stand to testify. Tina asked him what story she should go with if she was called to testify. Eric and Tina tried to come up with a story. Tina became frustrated because the facts were becoming muddled. Eric replied, you don't need to worry about the details. Details aren't important. They don't know anything. Fuck them. You just tell them you can't remember. She responded, I'm not a good liar, and you know that. And this is all on record, too. Yeah, this is all being recorded. Huh. And like we said, there's a detective nearby. It's great. Looking through his menu. <laughs> we are taking a moment here to introduce Every Plate, who is a sponsor of this episode, and your future new favorite weekly meal kit, also referred to as America's Best Value Meal Kit. You heard that right. We all know about meal kits by now. Not only does Every Plate deliver absolutely delicious meals to cook, but you will have the opportunity to save on monthly food expenses. That's what sets every plate apart from the rest. It's even more affordable than the average fast casual option. And you still are going to get fresh ingredients and delicious meals that can be easily prepared in six easy steps, delivered right to your door. Everything is packed very well in this insulated box, and the items that need to stay cold stay cold and fresh with these really nice ice packs that I love to reuse. Also, Every Plate is doing this really cool thing, $1 steaks for life. So you can add a 10-ounce ranch steak to your weekly order for just $1 per box while your subscription is active. And these steaks are literally so good. They cook so well, and they're one of our favorite meals to make in our house. And this is not just food that gets delivered to your home. Every plate will bring your family together. We have such an amazing bonding experience with our older kid cooking dinner together. Chopping tomatoes and onions and searing meat in a pan is what our family needed to bond. Cooking dinner is now fun instead of a chore. With pre-portioned ingredients, you can make a delicious home-cooked meal in minutes that tastes like you're at a fancy restaurant. All you need to do now is add some dinner music and dim the lights. It's a no-brainer. Think less time at the grocery store or spending time meal planning, and now you can use that extra time with your family or achieving your New Year's goals. I was amazed by the quality for the price of every plate and the convenience that comes along with it is an amazing bonus. So if you're trying to find a way to cut down on your food expenses every week or cut out the unhealthy processed foods and add a little more flavor in your life, like I was, every plate is there to save the day. Get a meal for $1.49 plus $1 steaks for life by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering code 49 crime salad. Subscriptions must be active to qualify and redeem $1 steak. That's meals for $1.49 plus $1 steaks for life by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering code 
49 Crime Salad, and you must have an active subscription to qualify and redeem $1 stake. That's up to a $110 value. And of course, we thank EveryPlate for partnering with Crime Salad. Eric said to her, just tell them that we never talked about it. Or we talked about it once two years ago. You can't remember the details, and that's all you have to say. Tina replied, you're lying. When Tina asked if Eric did it for the money, he said no, partly for the money, partly for the kids. And he confirmed that's how he justified it in his mind. She asked him why he would go to that extreme instead of just getting a divorce. Eric's response was that he felt backed in a corner, like Peggy was going to steal the kids away, and he said, I would never see them again. When Tina said, you had to get rid of her, Eric replied, I know, yes, you know, I mean, she was totally in charge of the kids. Tina asked Eric if he was certain that the weights would be sufficient. Eric replied, oh yeah, I thought it out pretty well. Tina also asked Eric if he was sure she didn't feel it, and Eric was sure. At this point, I'm wondering if he's feeling... Kind of like suspicious? Yeah, I kind of feel like at the same time, though, he's like so desperate to like save this relationship. Maybe he's not thinking about that stuff at all. He's just like, I have to fix this. I love this girl. He's vulnerable. Yeah, and this dinner was intended to talk about this because like he was clingy and everything with Tina and like the whole duffel bag thing and alcohol thing at the house like that's weird like what we're gonna kill me yeah like, and he then he ran wife? out of the apartment so I guess it's like in retrospect it's not that suspicious like this this actually worked out really really well for her and the police yeah so after dinner Tina planned to drive the car back to her apartment after dropping Eric off But he insisted on driving. Tina was terrified during the ride, and eventually she begged Eric to pull over. When that didn't work, she started screaming and yanking at the steering wheel until he did. He got out, and she got into the driver's seat and drove off. Officers pulled up and arrested Eric. Oh, that's scary. So who knows what intentions he had after dinner? Like, why did he have to drive the car? Yeah. Where are you taking me? Now, when authorities later searched Eric's belongings, they discovered that his weight set was missing two 35-pound dumbbells. So that matched up. Yeah, explain that, Eric. Which Eric claimed they were always missing. Eric was charged with Peggy's murder on November 1st. Eric hired veteran criminal defense attorney John Barnett, who was well-known for representing Theodore Brasino, an LAPD officer acquitted of beating Rodney King. One of Barnett's first private practice clients was serial killer Rodney Alcala, whom he represented in the 1979 kidnapping and murder of a Huntington Beach girl. We should do that case next. We should. Eric called Tina a few days after his arrest and asked her to accompany his mother to a motel to avoid the police and the media. Tina felt guilty about her role in Eric's arrest and agreed to go. At the motel, Eric's mother told Tina she needed to get her story straight and that she and Eric had worked out a strategy for what to do next. Now, first, Eric's mother took Tina to visit Eric in jail. They communicated using notes. Eric instructed his mother to keep Tina with her at all times, to help her, and to keep her from talking to the police. 
He asked Tina to lie by saying she had been on drugs and she made up the whole story, and she was upset with Eric for cheating on her. Tina was then taken to a meeting with Eric's attorney and investigator who wanted Tina to recant her story. Tina told the attorney that she felt she couldn't speak with him honestly because Eric's mother was paying her fees. The attorney told Tina the communications were confidential and she should be honest. Finally, Tina changed her story and told the press that on October 16th, she was high on methamphetamine and had psychic visions. She made up the whole story about Eric murdering his wife and prodded him into agreeing with her story. Tina told the press she believed Eric was innocent. Oh, jeez. She later testified that whatever she said to the press, it wasn't true. Mm-hmm. So she, like, contradicted herself again. Okay, so after all of that, she said none of that was true. Like, he did admit to murdering his wife. Yeah, after saying she was having psychic visions. and Oh, God. So now what do we believe? Yeah, what a circus. So remember those seed trials, Ricky? Yeah. They decided to conduct a second seed trial in February of 2000, taking the boat to the area where officers found Eric on July 6th of 1997 and... On this day, there was a swell of three feet and a chop of one foot to one and a half feet. And just like the first sea trial, it demonstrated that the steering of the boat while sitting on the top of the back of the driver's seat, which is how Eric described Peggy was first driving the boat, was difficult or impossible. But why do a second sea trial? Like, what are you going to gain from that? What more did they need to prove? I feel, I mean, to me, a confession is a confession They have this recording of him at the restaurant giving hints that he did it. Right. Like, what more do you need? I just feel like that's enough. And it wasn't. Now, opening statements for Eric's trial began on December 7th, 2000. According to the prosecution, Peggy's death was not an accident. She was murdered by Eric, who bludgeoned her to death on the boat, weighing her down, threw her body overboard, cleaned the boat, and staged it to look like an accident. Because no physical evidence linked Eric to the crime, the prosecution relied heavily on circumstantial evidence and witness testimony. Tina and Kobe were the prosecution's main witnesses. Now, Eric had several reasons for killing Peggy. For one, he was unhappy in his marriage, and he frequently complained about Peggy to his friends and even discussing with his friend, Kobe, the possibility of taking Peggy out to sea and dumping her in the ocean, as well as videotaping her using cocaine in order to gain custody of their children in the event of a divorce. According to the prosecution, Peggy died so that Eric could maintain that lifestyle that he had been so accustomed to. Before meeting Peggy, he had one pair of shorts in his name. And after marrying Peggy, he was able to buy expensive sunglasses and designer clothing. $300 glasses. Gotta have them. So with Peggy gone, Eric expected to receive that $2.6 million from her life insurance. And the Medicare fraud investigations would be dropped. They also mentioned that Peggy was a triathlete and a strong swimmer. So the chances of her drowning from simply falling out of the boat were slim. The ocean was calm in that area that day where Eric was discovered, and the boat wasn't capsized. 
Capsizing refers to when a boat or a ship is turned over in the water, either completely overturned or like bobbing up and down, floating on its side. Mm. Word of the day. The prosecution was permitted to tell the jury about the two separate sea trials. However, any expert opinion based on whether or not Peggy fell out of the boat was inadmissible. The prosecution could only tell the jury what the investigators discovered and the jury could then decide what the results meant. They also added that Eric acted suspiciously after Peggy's death. He appeared to be faking a grieving husband and spilled the true story with Tina only a few months later. On top of that, where was the two 35-pound dumbbells that were missing from his weight bench? And also, Eric and his mother both urged Tina to lie and recant her story after Eric was arrested. The defense claimed Peggy's death was an accident, not a murder. And since her body was never found, how could the prosecution prove that she was murdered? The defense told the jury that the sea trials were untrustworthy because the officers conducting them were focused on what they were doing, trying not to lose their balance, trying not to slip, fall, etc. Peggy, on the other hand, had been sunbathing and partying and was not consciously trying to maintain her balance. The officers, according to the defense, were sober and not of the same build as Peggy. Yeah, all of that matters. Tina knew, according to the defense, could not be trusted because she had recently been convicted of impersonating a woman in order to withdraw money from her account. She claimed to have psychic powers, and she had recently sued Dennis Rodman, claiming he raped her. So we're learning a lot of new information about Tina. But regardless of what's happening with her, that still has nothing to do with the actual recorded evidence that was given to the police when Tina was wired. Right. It's all documented. The defense, they claimed that Eric told Tina lies while she was wearing a wire on October 29th in order to impress Tina, who was a, quote, volatile and drug addicted woman with a penchant for bad boys, unquote. Eric believed Tina was attracted to bad boys, and he tried to live up to that type of image because her ex-boyfriend had killed someone and her ex-husband was abusive and a drug dealer. Oh, so he fits right in. So not to gross you out or anything, but the bed that you dive into every night seeking comfort and rest could be a hidden harbor for more bacteria, more than the average toilet seat. Shocking, isn't it? But worry not, for Miracle Made is here to transform your sleep experience because Miracle Made has an innovative line of self cleaning and eco friendly bedding, which includes luxurious soft sheets, pillowcases, and comforters, each ingeniously designed to combat 99% of bacterial growth, which also means Miracle Made's material not only fights bacteria, which has been keeping my skin healthier, but this amazing feature requires three times less washing than your traditional bedding. This means less water, less energy, and more time for you to do whatever you want. I really love this feature as well as the self-cooling properties. And you may be wondering, how can this even happen? How is this amazing product even possible? Miracle Mates material is inspired by NASA, making their material thermoregulating, and they're infused with silver. So if you want to jump into bed with the sheets that are luxuriously comfortable, 
and have healthy benefits without the high price tag, sleep with Miracle. You will be thinking that you're in a five-star hotel bed. Go to trymiracle.com slash crime salad to try Miracle Made Sheets today. And whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for your loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40%. And if you use our promo crime salad at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle is so confident in their product. It's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you will get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash crime salad and use the code crime salad to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40%. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash crime salad to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring our show. Eric testified at trial, admitting that he and Peggy had financial problems after March 1997, and they fought, and that he refused to take her phone calls while he was at Kobe's house on occasion. Eric also testified that he discussed with Kobe the possibility of filming Peggy using drugs and throwing Peggy off a boat, but that he only said those things to emphasize how angry he was with Peggy. Eric also denied asking Kobe if he knew of another way to kill Peggy and denied saying that he was going to fake his grief. Eric also testified that he and Peggy rented the boat and then drove it to another dock to pick up the boogie board and a tow rope and another bag before leaving the harbor and heading towards Catalina. But the weather was hazy, so they turned around and stopped somewhere between Santa Catalina Island and Corona del Mar. What was in the bag, Eric? What was in that bag? What was in that extra bag? A magazine? Maybe two 35-pound dumbbells. He went on to say that he and Peggy had sex and drank margaritas on the boat before jumping in the water to ride the boogie board. He crashed once while trying to get onto his knees on the boogie board, and when he came up, the boat was moving in a corkscrew fashion. So there's another weird boogie board It's like another story. variation, yeah. Well, this time I was actually riding on my knees. Oh. That's what Actually, that's what happened. And he continued saying that he tried to paddle towards the boat while yelling Peggy's name. Eric testified that he last saw Peggy straddling the back of the driver's seat above the windscreen and that nothing could keep her from falling into the water. Eric also testified that he was upset when the officers picked him up, and he became even more upset when they told him it was highly unlikely that they would find Peggy, that she most likely drowned and was run over by the boat, and that her body would sink because Peggy was athletic. What about the whole part about, you know, sitting in the green machine for 40 minutes or whatever time it was until they came? Not talking or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Did they mention that? Not that I know of. Eric then testified about his relationship with Tina, saying that on the night of October 16th, 1999, he and Tina went to several nightclubs. Eric said Tina smoked marijuana before they left. At one nightclub, Eric became jealous and argued with Tina after seeing her flirt with another man. At the next nightclub, Eric and Tina took ecstasy. Eric and Tina continued to drink after returning home that night and Tina claimed to have a psychic vision and declared, I think when you were boating in the accident that Peggy fell off, that you saw her, but you could not help her. 
Eric replied no, and Tina yelled back at Eric, insisting that's how she sees what happened. Eric responded, okay, whatever. And then Eric stated that Tina's story, quote, just degenerated into her fantasy of what she described up here on the stand. You know, for this part, though, I kind of believe maybe she approached the situation by saying, you know, I had this vision, this this psychic vision Mm -hmm. that you killed your wife. Like maybe it was just a way to bring it up. Oh, so you think maybe this was a way that she brought up the topic instead of coming right at him like, I think you did it. You're yeah. suspicious because she also has to protect herself. Yeah, exactly. So she could have very well. It's an awkward subject. I mean, maybe that's just how she brought it up. And he's like, at this point, taking it as like a, uh-huh. she's crazy, crazy and on drugs and mm-hmm. has these visions. And that's, that's what it is. I didn't actually do it. He went on to describe that Tina saw in her vision that Eric hit Peggy over the head, tied her up with the weights and dumped her body overboard. Eric disagreed, saying this was all an accident. Tina screamed at Eric, saying this was her vision, and that was how she was seeing it. Now, when Eric told Tina her vision was nonsense, she screamed at him again, which this all caused the police to arrive at the house. And this is when Eric fled out the back of Tina's apartment because he was afraid that the police would find him take him to jail for a probation violation if they caught him there. That was his explanation as to why that fight was happening. Uh It's all about her vision. Still kind of think it's only half true. Me too. And Eric, he was worried that Tina would later tell the police about her psychic vision. Eric described that he felt that she would never accept the fact that Peggy's death was an accident. Eric decided to meet with Tina that evening to reason with her and bring her back to reality. So they met later at that restaurant where Eric appeased Tina by agreeing with her that he killed Peggy. He explained that he felt compelled to do so because Tina insisted on believing her drug-induced fantasy even after he told her the truth. So at this point, he's totally twisting the story. He also feared that Tina would become volatile and start screaming in public, so he agreed with her to keep her quiet. In court, Eric denied asking Tina to lie when she visited him in jail, and he claimed that he was not present when his mother wrote to Tina telling her to say something false. So the decision was up to the jury of seven women and five men, and they began deliberations in February of 2001, and the deliberations were emotional, according to the LA Times, with jurors who would occasionally leave in tears during heated arguments. One juror told the Times that people didn't sleep at night because it was so intense. The defense was so convinced of Eric's innocence that they refused to allow any lesser charges to be considered by the jury. It was either find him guilty of first-degree murder or acquit him. The jury could not consider second-degree murder, manslaughter, or other charges. After six days, jurors were deadlocked. Nine voted guilty. Three were unsure. And the prosecution claimed Eric bludgeoned Peggy on the boat, despite the fact there was very little blood on the boat and that none of it could be matched to Peggy. 
To help make their final decision, the jury requested to hear the secretly recorded conversation Tina had while wearing a wire on October 29th, which demonstrated to the jury that Eric never denied killing Peggy at any point. According to one juror, he had lots of opportunities to deny it, but he never did. He was basically saying it without saying it. After seven days of deliberation, the jury found Eric guilty of first-degree murder with the special circumstance of murder while lying in wait, but not guilty of murder for financial gain. When the verdict was read, Eric showed no emotion, and his family was devastated because they believed that he was innocent. His aunt Gail told the LA Times, It's a tragic thing. Peggy's gone, and now three children have no mother or father. Because the prosecution did not seek the death penalty, Eric was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole on March 16th. And when asked if he had anything to say, Eric replied, quote, The accident was a horrible tragedy that had befallen both of our families. As much as my in-laws are hurting, my family's also hurting because I didn't commit this crime. I love my wife terribly, and I miss her, and I... There's nothing else I can say, unquote. And you what? Did it? It's acting skills, man. Following his sentence, Eric's family launched a website called freebeckler.com. According to the source, the website calls the Newport Beach man's conviction a travesty of justice, challenges in the fairest of the court, and asks for donations for an appeal likely to cost $200,000. The website went on to say, The purpose of this is to free Eric and to generate enough support throughout the state to present legislation to force the prosecutors and the judges to be held responsible for blatant misconduct in the courtroom. The website also included Eric's version of events as well as photos of Eric, Peggy, and the kids. It also offered a $50,000 reward for information leading to Peggy's whereabouts, who may have fled to another country to avoid prison time for the Medicare fraud. Okay, so this is a little bit off topic, but the website came out in what, like 2001, whatever. Around there, yeah. Yeah, freebeckler.com. Man, that's like a historic site. It's got to be like straight HTML. Like it would look like a MySpace site. Now, there's a lot of people outside of Eric's family who believe that he is innocent. According to OC Weekly, Peggy was controlling and manipulative, and it wouldn't surprise them if Peggy set up this whole thing to avoid being convicted of Medicare fraud. They assumed that she was living in Morocco and would return when the seven-year statute of limitations for Medicare fraud expired. Also, they think she faked her own death. Yeah, they think that she fled the state. Wow. One man who used to play volleyball with Eric told OC Weekly, I don't think Eric is smart enough to concoct a plan for an accident to take her life at sea. I think either something happened and he didn't do anything or he had help. On November 14th, 2003, the California Court of Appeals upheld Eric's convictions and sentence. No other appeals have been successful. And so Eric is currently incarcerated in Avenal State Prison in Avenal, California, and he will spend the rest of his life behind bars. Good. You think he did it? Oh, yeah. Even though that may be the case, Eric claims that he is innocent. 
as the years go on, Peggy Beckler, who has been since pronounced dead as of July 6th, 1997, was 38 years old at the time of her death. And her body has never been found. Her kids, who were all young at the time, had to grow up without a mother and also without a father. And that completes this case. So that's part two of the disappearance of Peggy Beckler. I just always hate whenever they don't confess. Like, you're in jail for the rest of your life and you still won't confess. Like, you sleep at night. Mm -hmm. Like, you lay in your bed, convinced yourself completely that you didn't do it, but... I mean, perfect example is Diane Downs, like, still is, like, an advocate for her innocence. I think, like, what do those people do? Do they just, like, disassociate themselves from reality? them ever doing that? Like, Mm -hmm. like, no way. I didn't do that. But on that note, we are so excited to be back for 2024. We hope you like our new art that we came up with. Yeah, I love it. I'm really excited. But I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited for the future, for what we're going to do. And I really like our new style. I know a lot of people have some comments about it, but I enjoy it. Yeah, honestly. And we're going to get better. It's more enjoyable. Like, give it a chance. Yeah. And... You know, I think that this will be like an enjoyable kind of thing we do on the weekends. Yeah. I mean, this is the vision we've had for our show since 2019. We just always had like little roadblocks. So it's so cool that we're in the little booth together and can't wait till the next episode. Yeah. We hope that you all have a very safe and happy and prosperous 2024. Good luck. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.